presenting Tell Tales, Dakota Folk Life and Stories, a collection of narratives of shared personal experiences of those who live on the North Dakota Plains. In this episode, we hear from citizens of the Standing Rock Nation who share insights on Lakota music and culture as part of the Densmore Repatriation Project, an effort to return recordings of stories and songs made by Francis Densmore in the Dakotas in 1911. The story of Densmore's travels is a fascinating one. She took a train from Minnesota to Bismarck, North Dakota, then traveled by wagon to Fort Yates with intentions of recording songs of the Lakota as well as interviewing tribal elders. Her intentions presented several challenges. One was finding willing informants and singers, and another was cultural. Frances Densmore was a single white woman with no relatives connected to the tribe. After lengthy councils, tribal elders decided, yes, they would share these songs and these stories. However, there was still the cultural barrier. In order to overcome this, a respected tribal elder, Red Fox, offered to adopt Francis Densmore. Kevin Locke explains. According to the rules, you know, they're not supposed to be with that woman, especially a single woman, Francis Densmore. So somebody had to adopt her as a relative. And then through that adoption, then they all were related to her. So they all would call her a kinship term, every one of them, see? Through his adoption of her, she became related to all those informants and they opened up to her, see? So Red Fox adopted Frances Densmore as his daughter and, and gave her this name, Numpawi, two white buffalo. This refers to this, uh, how much he cherished her, and maybe that was the name of his daughter that, that he lost. He lost his daughter, so this was a beloved child, a beloved child. In other words, they have this uh, this this custom they call that hokshichonkiapi, uh, this beloved child, somebody that they lavished their love upon. And so then this Tesanumpa, that girl that died, you know, that she was a beloved child. Everybody just put so much love and attention on her. She became because they, they call that hokshichonkiapi, a child that they use for a heart, see? Chonkiapi, they use for a heart. And so then that's their, they pour their heart into that person. So then Francis Densmore became that cherished, that beloved one, the beloved one that they could all relate to and they could all, you know, share with them to the depth and extent that they did. Francis Densmore was the researcher here and she did uh, such a phenomenal job. It was just an amazing job that she did. It's so much so that I have read that this is a benchmark. It's really like a foundational document in the field of ethnomusicology, this particular particular book here, the original copy. Really such an amazing book. This is what really captured me was the, the thoroughness of her research and how she was able to elicit so much information from her informants it's really interesting when you read this when you read the book you know it it, it talks about how she, she really didn't know who to who to ask about who to enlist as informants so she just kind of just randomly had people that 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 would uh record for her and eventually and it's in here i'm just doing a quick paraphrase of it but then uh, other people who were really 
eminent tribal historians and and uh, you know culture bearers, when they they found out what she was doing, uh, they found out what she was doing that she was just randomly picking anybody off the street basically to to interview. They said that they told her that she couldn't do it like that, that that they couldn't participate uh, if if she was if she was approaching it that way. And then here it talks about how she was finally able to get, or or maybe they themselves. It's it's all detailed the process about how they're able to get a um, body of the most eminent uh, culture keepers on the, uh, at Standing Rock who were able to, uh, to really consult and to identify what they would present and how they would present it. So in a way, it's like they commandeered her research project. These, you know, these elders, they commandeered it and they, uh, they kind of steered the course. And that's why if you, if you look in here, after all, the, the beginning section... Then you look at the very first one, uh, part when they get into the music, uh, where it starts is the white buffalo calf pipe. See? Chanupa. So this this was not her that, that 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 decided to start there. No, they did. Those informants, they're the ones that, that identified it, you know, where to start. So they start with the uh, foundation of the culture and civilization itself, which is according to their reckoning was the, the appearance of this holy soul the divine being, who some say, not everybody will say this, but some will say that she was the one that gave the people the name of Lakota in the first place. You look at the, in a lot of the books and it says uh, Lakota means allies and stuff like that. These elders just say, no, it doesn't mean that at all. It means people who pray, people who have faith, people who uh, honor the uh, the covenant, you know, the, the laws from God. Nobody will say it means allies. I've never heard that. Only in the books it says that. I don't know where they got that. But you talk to fluent speakers, they'll never say that. Produced in partnership with Dakota Legacy, this project is supported in part by a grant from the North Dakota Council on the Arts, which receives funding from the North Dakota State Legislature and the National Endowment for the Arts.